Everybody, welcome to another episode of Like a Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Jim McDermott. Once again, want to say thank you for taking the time out and joining the show, giving the listeners something to listen to on their way to work, on the bus, on the train, plowing snow, whatever it may be. Thank you for that. Please introduce yourself. Tell the world anything you'd like us to know. A little bit about yourself, where you live, where you're from, where you've been, what you do. Okay. Um, my name is Jim McDermott. Um, I'm 57 years old. I live in New York. I was born in New York, in Queens. Um, I've lived here most of my life and spend most of my life and still spend the majority of my life, the majority of my time professionally in the music business as an artist development and new technology person, um, which I think has informed my um, creative slant, I guess, or awareness of create of creative creativity and how to interact with creative people and be a creative person. Um, yeah. And I've got uh, two small kids. My wife's uh, an oncologist. So, um, I'm a caretaker towards two small kids and I go out and I shoot, um, on the street when they're in school, when they're in their after school programs and just basically when I can, uh, steal moments. That's, uh, so that's me, New Yorker through the, through and through. I like that. Uh, I've been, since we started talking, I've been following your Instagram and the stories you've been posting. And I got to say, I appreciate watching your stories cause you put in the work. And that's something I like to see from my, my friends and my followers and the people I follow is I like to see people actually out there doing it. So uh, I, I appreciate it. And you take some really good photos. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I didn't know it was you at first, but like I think you take photos of like music videos or something like that. I seen some of your like Instagram stories and uh, I was like, wow. <laughs> Like, is he the photographer taking the picture of the person taking the picture? I was curious, uh, but now I kind of started putting it all together, and you're the actual person making the photos. So, yeah. What's that like? How'd you get that job? Well, um, if you're talking, I very recently, um, and this is just a serendipity of street photography, to, to try to make this a short story, but it's, it's, it's going to be challenging. <laughs> um, so I do a lot of shooting in Washington square park. Uh, that's kind of a, a hub for street photography in New York city. A lot of my peers who I have tremendous respect for work there or we meet up there. Um, and it's also a place because it's right across from NYU, the college where a lot of people go to buy weed. It's always been like a place where like, I remember I, I worked down the street from there in 1990 and you would walk in the park and people would be going, sensi, sense, 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 you know, like trying to sell smoke back when it was illegal and it was all in the hush hush. Now there's tables and guys like selling pre-rolls, selling, you know, all this stuff like packaged stuff that lo looks like gummy bears and all, you know, all this crazy stuff, edibles, blah, blah, blah. And there's a whole community around it because marijuana has been legalized in New York city. And we're in this kind of moment right before, um, it turns into like a big business and there's places where you can go and smoke. It's like, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of speed level, like in, enforcement, like it used to be where they would just like lock people up. So <clears throat> you go there on any given day and there's people, a lot of people selling smoke entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So I was 
walking in the park with my camera and a, uh, a young, a couple of young kids said to me, um, I shouldn't call them kids, a young man, early twenties. Like they were trying to sell me weed. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> not that I won't occasionally imbibe, but like, I was not one of, certainly not one of taking pictures. I want to have my head on. Right. So we started talking. I said, no, I'm a photographer. And they said, well, one of the kids said, men said like, we'll take my picture. And I was like, I said, okay, cool. And so we started taking, I started taking photographs and ended up taking pictures of him and his crew and really getting to be friends with them and hearing all sorts of interesting stories about their lives. I see them every time I go to the park and because a lot of what I do down there, a lot of my work, I take a photograph and then I, I always send the photograph to the, to the subject. I get there, I give them a card, I get their IG and I, I'm like, you can do anything you want with this photo. You want to use it in your profile. You want whatever you want to use it for. It's yours. But I also print the photographs often and give them prints. And there's, you know, this digital world we live in, when you give somebody a print, it's got real impact when someone sees like a beautiful printed, you know, eight and a half by 11, you know, eight by 10 photograph of themselves. So anyway, so I gave it to one of these guys and it turns out he's a, um, a drill artist, you know, hip hop artist in, in the drill sub genre. And he said, Hey, you know, I, you know, I'm going to be shooting an album, uh, cover and, or I'm going to be putting out an album. I'm going to be doing a video. You know, would you like, can, can I get you to take some pictures? Cause I love your pictures. Cause I gave him the print and he was blown away and all his friends were blown away. So I didn't really think anything of it. And then just a few weeks ago, he's like, I'm doing a video. I rented a, a Rolls Royce. I'm shooting out in, in, uh, bed And can you come out and shoot while, you know, stills while someone's shooting the video. So I was like, cool. So, you know, I, I got my gear. I went out to bed style. We went, we were getting like down a street somewhere and there was, you know, like great street art everywhere. This Rolls Royce there. And he's, you know, smoking, he's got some of his crew and I'm taking stills. Then he's, and then after that was done, he's like, Oh, I'm got, now I have a place in uh, crown Heights. We're going to go to, we, I rented a penthouse and there's going to be some girls and, and whatnot. And, you know, can you come to the second location? And I, I was like, okay, cool. So I got in this car, we went to this place and there were, you know, his whole crew was there and everybody was smoking. It was funny because, you know, COVID is kind of banging here pretty hard still. And I'm in this room with like 12 young dudes, nobody, wearing masks at all girls wearing like almost no clothes <laughs> you know my wife and my kids are at home and i'm just like out but you know i got the night off it was great but we're hanging in this like small room in this penthouse and just everybody smoke and i'm getting this like major contact tie and just having a good time and taking pictures yeah and um yeah so i think what you saw was just uh i i think is the output of, you know, me being in that environment and then just taking, you know, being there to take stills, which was, you know, it's great because it just shows it's one of those things where street photography makes you meet people that you would never meet Mm -hmm. in your life, you know, and intersect with hear their stories. Um, I mean, I, I have just almost an end, a bottomless pit of stories just from the past six, eight months of, different people I've met and things that I've experienced. And so this was just one of those nights that was like, when would I ever be in a brownstone in crown Heights with like 12 guys smoking weed strippers, guy doing a drill video. And I'm like, and I'm the, I mean, I was the only white boy in the whole, in the whole room, you know, which is, which I mean, it was awesome. You know, I mean, I, his, when his crew was coming in, they were looking at me like, you know, who's this crusty old white, yeah. white guy standing there in the corner probably. But, um, but it was dark. amazing. The energy was amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, you know, he loved the photographs and, and I love being able to do them and I love being able to get outside my comfort zone and feel that energy and push myself and challenge myself. And, you know, that's just one of those things where street photography takes you down the, the road less traveled. And that was definitely a night of, uh, of the road less traveled and funny postscript to that story is I went home and my wife's like, Oh, is everybody wearing masks? And I'm like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like I, Cause she's like really, and I, I just bullshitted my, <laughs> my way through that question. Until she used this. And then like two weeks. Yeah, exactly. But then two weeks later, she gets COVID on a Saturday, gives it to our kids. Mm-hmm. I take care of the whole family. And then I end up getting it on like, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. So the hilarious thing about this is I've been walking around New York for like the past six months without wearing a mask, mm-hmm. dealing with people who have drug problems, talking to gang members, homeless people, crazy people, and then just a regular spectrum of New Yorkers, young people, people of all sorts of different orientations, a lot of whom, or I should say the overwhelming majority of whom are not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And just for me, it's like, I I had like a thing where, well, I don't want to call it peer pressure or societal pressure. I just was like, you know what? I'm going to live this experience fully. And I'm I'm not going to be the guy standing there wearing a mask while I talk to everybody. Yeah. Cause I want to make a connection and they, and it, it's a barrier to a certain degree and I'm not, and I'm not anti-mask or anything like that, but, um, you know, I'm vaccinated, boosted everything. I believe in the science, whatnot, but there's just something about like the social aspect of you're talking to someone, you're really trying to relate to them and you've got a mask over your face and they don't, mm-hmm. um, it puts up a little barrier. So in the beginning I wore it and then I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I've been out there for the past six months through Omicron, everything didn't get sick. Yeah. My wife's like, you're going to get sick. Take care of yourself. And then she gives me COVID. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so, it's always anyway. like that. So like, it's the same for me. Uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, fortunately for me, um, I have not been officially diagnosed with COVID, although I'm pretty sure I have had it countless negative tests. And, you know, I go to Tokyo quite often, large, like, I don't know if you've ever been to Tokyo, Japan, but when I say there's four a, times, okay, so you know about the millions of people just walking around, and then how they, how they pretty much stuff themselves in the trains, and all of that. But I do. But the times I've been to Tokyo, mm-hmm. um, and actually, I should say that kind of almost like my street photography started in Tokyo. Okay. Um, as a sidebar, but the first time I went to Tokyo because I used to work for Sony Music, and the first time I went to Tokyo was in 2000, and what blew me away was going onto the subways and the subways had velvet seat cushions. Mm -hmm. They still do. And there were people on the train that were wearing masks Mm -hmm. because they had a cold. And because it's, yeah, because it was kind of like, you know, why it it, would, I guess it was kind of just a, you know, why would I want to make someone else sick? It would Mm -hmm. be, it was like a, you know, a a personal responsibility thing, a societal responsibility thing. And like, just like, like, you know, when there's a music, there's a subway museum here in New York that you can go to in Brooklyn and, um, and in downtown Brooklyn, and they have the old subway trains and some of them have velvet seats, but they're from like 1920, 1930. And it's been that long since anybody would be crazy enough to put velvet seat cushions on a New York city subway train, you know, but Tokyo, different thing, you know, mm-hmm. like when I stayed in Tokyo once I went with my wife one time, 
and we were we were staying at the Westin in Tokyo, and the, across the street was a subway station. So in the morning, we got up to go to the subway station, and I'm a New Yorker, so when there's a red light, that means look both ways before you run across the street. You look the opposite way. But in Tokyo, <laughs> yeah, no, but in Tokyo, when the red light came, I'm standing on a on a on a curb with like literally 200 people. And there's no cars coming either way. And they wait. And there's a sign that says pedestrians don't walk. No one, yeah, no one crossed the street. Not one person. And I, like, went to step off the curb, and my wife grabbed me with, like, this death grab on my elbow, like, you will not embarrass us by crossing the street. And so I didn't, you know. But um, I think it says a lot about Japanese society and consideration towards others, consideration towards where you live. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that impressed me about the Japanese culture was just how that respect for others, that respect for the environment. And that, I mean, I guess there's like a sense of like, you'd, you'd be mortified if you did something that made everybody look at you and was out of place with, with that sense. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, I towed the line the rest of the time. <laughs> no worries. So I'm going to add to that because, because I know exactly what you mean. And, uh, there's a little story in comparison between cities uh, Tokyo's very much like how you how you explained it. They will wait for the crosswalk light to turn green. Uh, if there's a little small small little road that's the size of a car and the don't cross the little red light is red, they will wait. They will not move. They will not cross the street. Now there's still some people that will you know cross the road because they have to get to work or whatever, but the majority of them will wait. Now, I was in Osaka last month, and I was walking around, and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be very similar to Tokyo, large city, large population. No, there, I would say it's kind of like the States. Like you said, look both ways, cross the road, didn't matter. <laughs> large, major road. Uh, okay. uh, and I was like, I was really appreciating it because it reminded me when I was in London. London does the same thing. There's, you know... The yeah. crosswalks are just kind of like recommendations. Hey, be careful. If you get hit, you get hit. Um, so I think like Osaka and Tokyo are completely opposite. They do everything opposite. Uh, in Tokyo, when they're going up the escalator, if you're not actively walking and you're just waiting, they wait on the left side. In Osaka, they wait on the right side. <laughs> so it's just like little ticks. It was like. Yeah, New York is. New York is waiting on the right side. Yeah, and I have to say, as a New Yorker, like I get pissed when I see somebody on the left side and they're just like sitting there looking at their phone or whatever. Like I just start, I do the New York mumble. Yeah, wow, what's you know? this fucker doing? Like, you know, like, get, get the fuck out! Of here. What's the matter with you? You know, like <laughs> it's just it's the thing. Anyway, I it's, I've mellowed as I've gotten older, but I grum I grumble to myself now that I've gotten older. Anyway, it happens because I'm the same way. Like. I, I'm very much American to down to the bone, but I, I don't ever plan on living in the U.S. ever again when I retire. But I still have those tendencies, like especially when I see Americans and I'm like, man, what's this guy doing? He's making us look bad. And they're there. They don't have no idea. And I'm just the the city mumble. We'll call it the city mumble because I have them, too. Yeah, I'm from, yeah, yeah. I'm from Chicago. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah. So you're from New York. Do you know many New York street photographers? I'm going to throw a couple out there. I'm going to start with Joel Meyerowitz. Like, I'm not talking on a personal level, not a, I know his name. Yep. You know, Joel, that's awesome. Of course, well, I don't know him personally. Okay. I know his work. Um, there's a, there's a, actually, and I'll just give like a little plug for it. There's a, a course on 
there's a website called Masters of Photography, and he has mm-hmm. a course, and it's like eighty bucks or hundred bucks or something like that, and it's like fifteen or sixteen episodes, and he teaches a course um, about his approach to street photography, and. Uh, you know, I, I took that course just because I was interested in him. I have all his books. I have his book on books on how he does street photography. I've watched a zillion interviews with him about him doing work at Ground Zero because I was in New York for Ground Zero. So it, it, it kind of meant a lot to me what he did for the city after after 9-11 to, to document it, even while douchebag Giuliani was trying to prevent that. Um, and yeah, so that, I think the interesting thing is I have tremendous respect and admiration for Joel Meyerowitz. I don't take photographs that are even remotely reminiscent of what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I also follow Bruce Gilden quite a bit and Bruce Gilden and Joel Meyerowitz are like the opposite side of uh, heads and tails of a coin. Yeah. And you know, Meyer, Joel has said some pretty negative things about Bruce Gilden, about how he's a bully and, you know, and, and kind of all this other stuff. And <clears throat> I would say when I'm when I'm doing street photography, my approach is probably more similar to how Bruce Gilden does it mm-hmm. when I'm shooting that kind of style. Um, but I see validity in in both uh, approaches, and and I tremendously respect and admire both of those photographers. Yeah, I do agree. Uh, some other photographers I know personally street photographers in New York. Uh, one, he just moved to New York late last year. His name is uh, Brian Demby. Amazing, amazing street photographer. He's got a, an amazing eye. Uh, and Remigio, I don't forget his last name, but Remigio, let me look it up. Uh, they're also based in New York. I think Remigio is close to you. Bronx, no. Yeah, I think they're okay. Bronx. Uh, I will kind of give you a brief introduction to them, and maybe if you're out shooting one day, you guys can link up. But both really good friends of mine, great photographers, and I'll send you that information later. We'll continue to podcast. Cool. Yeah, love to see their feeds. Always. Always. Um, So now I'm going to lead this back into the photography aspect of the podcast, and we're going to go with when you started photography, when you started making photos, what genre did you begin with, and when did you discover street photography? We know it was in Tokyo, but we want to kind of start from the beginning up into street photography. Cool. Um, so <clears throat> I actually still have the first picture I ever took with a camera. Um, and it was a, I was on vacation with my parents in Lancaster County, and there was a, there was a motel that, you know, it's, it's Amish country. And my father was a train freak. Like he loved steam trains. So he, we would, every vacation when I was a kid, we would have to go somewhere with steam trains. But, um, so Massachusetts, all new England and Pennsylvania, Connecticut, stuff like that. So there was this place that's still there called the caboose motel where you actually sleep in decommissioning cabooses. Mm-hmm. And so we were staying there and my grandmother had given me one of these Instamatic cameras, I don't know if it was a 110 or 120, I don't even remember what the format was, but it was one of those point and click, you don't do anything, you click, and there's like this real mechanical snap. But I was, I had it with me, and I hadn't really ever taken a picture, and I was sitting in a, in a on the top of this kind of hill behind the motel, looking down at these cornfields and barns, and I just saw this like rolling, beautiful panorama, and thought, 
it was, I just thought it was amazing because I live in Long Island. I live in suburbia. I had never seen an open space like that was that beautiful and just, you know, and I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old, something like that. Maybe, maybe 10. I got, I was 10. And anyway, I take the picture, I get it developed and it's, you know, it's four by five. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably had like a fixed aperture of probably like F11 or, F8, you know, something because it was, you know, it was, it wasn't like you adjusted any of that stuff. So I got it back and I looked and it was like this tiny little portion of this panorama that didn't have any of the richness, didn't have any of the depth, didn't have any of the smell, anything. So it was disappointing. And I realized I had grabbed a slice of it, but I, I think what I realized like really early on was that that it was an interpretive medium, you know, mm-hmm. or at least it, it could be, you know, like it wasn't, it was a moment where I realized without really realizing what I was realizing, that like, this isn't reality. This isn't grabbing reality. This is grabbing some interpretation of reality. And that's interesting and it's cool, but I have to correct how I take pictures because it's not going to, it's not going to grab it and sense around to use the seventies term for anybody who's that old, you know? <clears throat> um, so, as I grew up and got a little older, I just kind of had cameras because I was in bands and I want to take pictures of my bandmates and rock and roll interested me. And I'd look at album coverage and things and I took pictures to my twenties and got better cameras and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it hadn't really, the bug hadn't really hit me hugely. Um, and then for some reason, I don't know why, but I, in the, in the late, in like 96, 97, for some reason, I got a book about the history of Magnum photography, mm-hmm. uh, Magnum, the Magnum Photo Agency. And I forget the title of the book, but it basically starts about how Cardi Brisson, Chim and uh, Chim and, and uh, Robert Keppel. And Kappa, and I'm forgetting the name of the fourth guy. Um, but anyway, how they started the agency, why they started the agency, and just the whole dynamics of it, what happened to everybody, yada, yada. And I read it and it was just, it so gripped me and it was so fascinating to me that, um, and through the book over and over again, they just kept Leica just coming up, kept coming up again and again and again as a tool that they used, you know? And, and I just got completely fascinated by it. And so I was making some decent coin at the time. So I was just like, you know what? Uh, I think maybe I want to get a Leica. And there was at the time there was a gallery in, in, uh, in the village that like a New York was owned. There was like a, a building and a, and a gallery that was owned by this couple named Rose and Jay Deutsch who had exhibits there of all sorts of amazing photo- photographers, all, all like a shooters. And they sold like equipment, but then down the hallway was Tamarkin camera, which mm-hmm. is now based in Chicago. Chicago. Pretty sure it was Tamarkin. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so you could, you know, they had used stuff. They had, Tamarkin had like everything. And like the Leica gallery space had whatever the newest stuff was, which at that time was, M, you know, it was M6 TTL mm-hmm. and all the lenses, the magazine. But I would just walk in there and see all these amazing photographs. And it really influenced me. And then after 9-11 happened, because I was just dabbling with the pic, with the photo, taking pictures of friends, stuff like that. After 9-11 happened, I lived in Brooklyn Heights when it happened. So I had a kind of a front row seat for it. And I just said to myself, you know, I've got to, as a reaction to this, like, 
I've got to do something positive. I've got to do something kind of creative. And there was this neighborhood called Dumbo, which is down under Manhattan Bridge overpass is what that stood for. And it was mostly a neighborhood of, um, that it had been kind of neglected and not abandoned, but it was all like solid waste transfer stations and, you know, illegal lofts and really cheap, scary kind of place. And, but a lot of artists lived down there mm-hmm. and you had to watch yourself at night because you'd be very easily get mugged, hurt, whatever. But I ended up running a studio with, uh, splitting a studio with a Colombian artist who was a painter who would like leave and, and I would have the place to myself. He would go back to Columbia for like four months. And I just started, I bought some lights and I just started shooting down there and just got very serious about photography for a little while. <clears throat> and the next thing I did, because I, I started realizing like I like, I just like taking pictures of people mm-hmm. was, um, uh, yeah, I kind of gravitated towards a 50 millimeter lens and was taking pictures of you know models, doing nudes in my studio, whatnot. And because I worked for Sony, we had to go to Japan, and I had always been fascinated by Japan. So this is I'm finally getting to the Japan thing. Um, you know, I went to Japan, brought my Leica with me, or brought my Leica with me, and was just walking around, taking pictures of interesting stuff. Went to Sakiji Fish Market, like back in the day when you know you would get there at three o'clock in the morning and see the auctions and walk around, which was fascinating. I got some great pictures there. Um, but then I, you know, some friends of mine were in, you know, on Meiji Dory, I think it was. And we just ended up where the, where the, where the Meiji shrine is. There's that, you know, all the Harajuku kids. Yeah. And so I just basically came across all these kids just on dressed up like all, in all these amazing goth outfits, mm-hmm. people doing music, rockabilly, who, people that look like Victorian dolls, you know, people, um, you know, gen- all this gender bending stuff. You know, it was, it was just this fascinating street corner of all these kids who were used to people taking their photographs. So I just, for some, some, something inside me just clicked and I just started going up and just taking pictures of all these kids and really engaging with them. And, um, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that was street photography in the school of Joel Meyerowitz, you know, mm-hmm. per se, um, in terms of the tensions of things and the interrelation of things. It, but it was an, interrea- an interaction on the street where, you know, you're going up to somebody you don't know and you're trying to make some kind of connection and extract something from that experience that transcends a snapshot. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was kind of like where that happened for me, mm-hmm. um, was where I think the tumblers clicked. And I, and I kind of understood that where the artistry was, but I, I think because I had a studio in Dumbo and because I was taking pictures and also taking pictures of nudes, like if you, if all of a sudden somebody shows up at your studio and I just put an ad on like Craigslist and I'm, and I had like models come and I, I was like, I want to shoot nudes because I've never shot nudes and I want to see what that's like. And I want to learn about that. And, and I had read stuff about how that was important to kind of understand the human body and understand interacting with people and getting a comfort level. But when somebody you've never met, you know, five minutes previously, like, okay, it's, it's not like it's the hardest thing in the world because people go to strip clubs and do it all the time. Like <laughs> talk to people without their clothes on. But when you're, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like the biggest deal in the world, but like, you know, when someone comes there and you're there to do work and they took off all their clothes and you've got to do it in a respectful manner. Like the first couple of times I did it, it looked like, it looked like cheap, 
soft porn, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I started, and then I, once I got past that and started making it more, I started figuring out how to make it more artful. And I think being able to talk to somebody who didn't have their clothes on mm-hmm. and to try to make it so that it was art and not just cheap, shitty porn, um, helped me when I started taking portraits of people who I didn't know yeah. because I'm like, well, they have their clothes on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah. So that's that. I think my birth is kind of like a street portraitist. If that's probably what my area of specialty is, is was, it was in Harajuku in Tokyo. And I went back and shot there on three or four subsequent occasions. Yeah. It's still like that to this day. Uh, I don't, I'm, I mean, now with COVID, the corners are probably a little less populated, but they're still there. There's a lot of population still out there and enjoying the lives. And everybody's trying to get back to that normal part. Now, the new thing, I knew a professional model, and this kind of changed my whole outlook on portraits in a good way. When I was in England, I was taking like all these... Um, workshop classes with like professional photographer studio photographers and professional models and up all the portrait shoots that I've done up until when I started taking those workshops I've always did uh, trade for prints with amateur models and the first time I worked with a professional it changed my life I was like I don't ever want to work with amateurs no more like a professional model makes your job so much e- easier and of course you could still yeah. pose them with your with your vision but like you were saying understanding the human body how they connect to their body and how they compose in certain ways where you didn't think it was possible it it was it was like a whole new level of portraits i was like wow now i understand like it's a paradigm shift like going from craigslist like model calls like hey i'm looking for a model and we're just going to do this and i can't pay you to like I don't mind paying now because that's what they get paid to do. Uh, definitely uh, wor- well worth it. You will, you will, you know, like if you've never paid for a model before and you pay for the first time, you're like, oh, man, I don't want to pay for a model. But it's w- definitely worth the money. So anyone who's interested in doing models, I would always recommend a, a professional. Try it at least once. But long story longer. Um the model I met, she was actually, she did all kinds of stuff. And she did like this very, uh, I forgot how they call it, but um, artistic nudes, I guess. And mm-hmm. she created some of the nice, nicest works. Me, I personally, I couldn't shoot nudes because I always felt like I was that creepy guy, right? I'm, I'm older uh, and I was like, just, you know, I always felt like, man, if I take nude pictures, everyone's going to think I'm that creepy guy that uses these photos and sells them for all kinds of creepy shit i couldn't do it and because of that my own um self-conscious views and i forgot the word i was gonna use but uh i just i stood away from it and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it but that's pretty cool that you had your own studio it was always something i wanted to do right i I originally wanted to get into portraits until i met street photography now i don't care about portraits i hardly ever take them and i'm always in the streets so sorry. Well, the, the, I mean, to, to call it a, a studio is a little generous. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, like basically it was in a building that had been a former warehouse that would all been segmented into all these rooms and, you know, drywall hung up basically. Mm-hmm. And, and 
I just went to B and H and I got some lights. I didn't know what kind of lights. It was just a constant light source with the strobes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, the first few times I used it, it you know, it, it just looks so harsh. You could see like every crack and crevice, you know, <laughs> you know and it, and it, and it wasn't flattering. So I had to f- kind of figure out like, you know, how to make it flattering, but this is going to sound like it, th- this is the most obscure reference probably anyone will ever make on your show. So warning ahead of time. But when I was like in, in seventh or eighth grade, there was a band called um, the fabulous poodles. This is like 1978. And they had a record out called mirror stars and it was on the radio. And I love this song. And I got the album for like my 13th or 14th birthday or whatever. And there was a song on it called kit photographer blues. Now this is an English band, <laughs> right? And the whole song is from done from the standpoint of a guy who takes pictures of nude models and he's getting turned on the whole time because they're doing all these come hither looks and everything. He's shooting it. And then after the shoots over, when they break, he's trying to like come on to the models and they're all like, Hey, you can cut that out. I've had enough for one day, yeah. you know? And he's like, I've got the tip photographer blues because he never gets any. And because it's kind of like, they're like, Oh, don't come on to me. And he's like, and he comes off like a sleeve bag. So I remembered Hearing that, you know, because when you're 13, every song you hear, you're like, what does this mean? You know, you remember every lyric because you haven't heard that much music. So the lyrics to that song and the whole vibe of that song just burned its way into my brain. And it made me every single time I shot with anyone who didn't have their clothes on or who was wearing something revealing. It was like it played in the back of my head like, you're not going to be that guy. You aren't that guy. You know, you're not going to vibe that at all. Yeah. Like I'm, and I would like double and really make sure I'm like, you know, I'm, I really tried to make sure that, that, that I, that I didn't, uh, cross the line that I, yeah, that I didn't cross the line. Yeah. 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 So, Same but thing. you know, the, the, the thing about professional, the thing about professional models, cause I'm, you know, just going off what you're saying about working with professional models, like a, a photographer who I adore and hugely respect their work and would definitely call them an influence. Although you would never see it in my work. So I'm not a genius like he was, but <clears throat> Peter Lindbergh, who kind of invented the supermodel phot- photography. Um, he's the guy who was responsible for like Linda Evangelista, Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, mm-hmm. uh, Helen, Helena Christensen, you know, uh, in the early nineties. He, he kind of invented the photographic supermodel and, and, and brought in and ushered in like a new photographic style in reading in listening to interviews with him and reading his books and stuff, he died a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but in, in reading about his approach, you know, he, he always kind of shot in black and white, didn't do any retouching. And most of the time didn't have the models wear any makeup. And what he was trying to get to was the frail, not the frailty, the fragility, the real person, not all the artifice, because, you know, a lot of models, like they they know how to make themselves look great. They know which way to turn their faces, all this other kind of stuff. And that's great. But what he was doing was actually transcending that and getting it so that he was getting the real person who's beautiful. Yeah. But the, but the flaws in the beauty and the person behind all that artifice and his work is just like any of his books. It's just brilliant, brilliant shit. And I think for me, like I... I don't like stuff to be perfect. I don't like, I, I, you know, I don't like images that don't have flaws. You know, I, I don't hate like all the stuff that's like super retouched where people look like robots, you know, yeah. but Lindbergh is a, is a great example of somebody who's who had 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That plastic look. Yeah. But he's somebody who let the emotion come through. And really what I try to do when I take street portraits um, is when I know, when I see or when I know that I've gotten a moment like that with somebody, then I know I've gotten what I need because I don't shoot a lot. Like I don't blow frames. Like when, when I get home, I could be shooting for hours and I might come home and have 50 pictures or 60 pictures or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, I call that shooting with meaning. So good on you on that. So that's a, that's a very uh, disciplined act, right? Like you said, go out all day and only come back with 50 photos. That's, that's really good. The output. You might be taking less photos, but you're making more better ones. So uh, easier to go through. And well, and honestly, part of it is, but the, the nature of the process for me anyway is I can pass a thousand people and I, and I will only want to take a picture of one of those people. Mm-hmm. So inherently, you know, I'm going to get less. And then the other thing that I tend to do, because I'll shoot with either a tw- when I do street photography, not portraiture, but when I do street photography, um, I, I will shoot with a 28 or a 21 and I want to fill the frame. So I will walk right at someone that I want to take a picture of. And this gets back to the Gildan thing and I'll be within, you know, I'll, I'll zone focus and I'll set the camera to be, you know, I'll set it at a wide enough aperture. So everything within three feet and maybe 15 feet, which is easy on a 21 will be in focus. So I'm literally about to crash into someone when I snap the shutter and and then I'll li- I, what I'll do is I'll get on a path with them. I'll get in their way, and I'm about to literally walk right into them. And just as I snap the frame, I'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me." And then I'll walk around them. Mm-hmm. And so what that is is I'm setting the shutter speed at like at least one three twenty, three twentieth, and I'm I'm getting one frame. So and I'm hip shooting most of the time when I get that kind of a photograph because I don't want them to see me. I want them to be them. So I'm getting one picture. So a lot of times I, you know, if you think about all those filters before you actually press the button, Mm -hmm. it's, are they going to cross? First of all, I see the person and it's like, can I get on a path to intersect them? Is anybody in the way? Are they going to cross the street? Are they going to turn around? Are they going to go into a shop? Are they going to see that I, that I'm coming towards them with a camera in my hand and it's going to change the vibe. So I'm not going to take the picture. Did it look like they want to punch me in the face if if they see it, you know? All that shit, because it's New York and it's real. You know, mm-hmm. some of the places where, where I shoot and some of the people that I shoot, you know, there's definitely that possibility. And I've had some encounters that have been pretty deep at times. But so the chance that I'm going to get something that's good when you put all those filters before you get it, you know, I'm not doing the guild thing where I walk up and stick a flash in somebody's face and go bang and then, and then, and then they turn around and go, what the hell was that? Most people don't even know I took their photograph when mm-hmm. I take that kind of a picture. Yeah. But that's not the portraiture. That's more the street stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said you get close, that's that's the Bruce Gilden in you. Yeah. But Bruce Gilden, what, he, what he'll do is, if you watch him shoot, he has a handheld flash mm-hmm. off the yeah. camera, and he, and he, yeah, and he comes up right into somebody's face, swoops in. And so he has those pictures where people look surprised, mm-hmm. they look angry, they look uh, taken aback, and it's a style, you know. And it's and it, 
a it's lot his, of those pictures are kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, and this is what Joel Meyerowitz says, there's that whole thing. And it's a cliche. There's many cliches in photography. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the biggest, right? The whole, like, don't bruise the moment thing. You know, don't bruise the moment, you know, you know, you want to just yeah. take something. It's, it's like you go, it's like going into the forest, you know, leave everything the way you found it, leave only tracks or whatever, you know, like, no one can know you're taking a picture. I don't believe in that necessarily, mm-hmm. but what he's doing is he's bruising the fuck out of the moment and he's getting a certain type of a picture because he's doing that. And I'm getting a certain type of picture because I see somebody coming down the street that has an energy and, and I'm always attracted by either the dream or the nightmare. Mm-hmm. I either want to see something that's otherworldly or something that is fucking scary. And that's always what I go for. And, and if it's vanilla, I have no interest in it whatsoever. And I have a really good friend of mine who we'll talk about later. And when we go out shooting, we, we, you know, we've shot a couple of times and he extracts joy and he looks for joy. He finds all these joyous moments on the street, kids, people, just the joy of life. Like you see, you see the energy and all this joy. And I get home and we were shooting the same day and I have pictures that look like a fucking David Lynch nightmare or something, you know, <laughs> but, um, which I love, but that's, it just goes back to kind of what resonates with you. Cause we could be shooting on the same street, the same people, the same, everything. It's always different. And it's a different. Yeah. 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 That's what's great about this is that mm-hmm. two people, there's no competition in this because everybody takes different pictures, even of the same stuff. That's true. So, um, I was going to add on to that plastic look earlier, and I don't know why I'm bringing this back up, but I just I think it's funny. You, you can always tell the people who learn their photo editing from like YouTube is I've seen family photographers make the families look very plasticky. So you got this real beautiful natural background with the nature, and then you get to the, the subjects and they look like plastic Barbies. <laughs> And it kind of, for me, yeah. it ruins the photo because I'm like, how do you, you have non, non-manipulated pixels and then here you go smooth and shiny and dodged and burned. And some people like the look. Some people don't. Bruising the, the scene. I would actually like to see Bruce Gilden work. I want to see like these masters out there cruising the streets. I've seen like the videos. Have you? I'm sure you've seen Everybody's Street. Yeah. A great movie. Uh, probably the first street photography movie I've ever seen. It's not many street photography movies, but um, it kind of, you know, set me down that path for sure, for sure. Like, man, this is awesome. And uh, just seeing how Joel shoots. I do have the Joel Meyerowitz Masters of Photography videos. Those are awesome. Um, and But yeah. like you said, like completely opposite sides of, of, of the world in street photography. You got Joel Meyerowitz, very natural, wants to capture that unbothered moment and then you got the, the Bruce Gildens and going in your face. I would love to see Bruce Gilden. Uh I would just kind of like if I could travel in time and be invisible, I would want to walk with Bruce Gilden when he was in Japan doing his um his photo series out there. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because it, because because he he's to me he's very New York. I mean as is Joel Meyerowitz, but but Gildan, I don't know how the Gildan sensibility of getting in people's face would mm-hmm. play in Tokyo. Yeah. You know, um, cause it's so anathema to how, ja- you know, Japanese culture is. Um, 
in terms of just getting in people's face and being kind of obnoxious, you know, maybe he changes, maybe he's not as obnoxious when he's in, you know, Japan. Um, but yeah, that would, that would definitely be, that would definitely be interesting. You know, it's funny though, that, that the thing you were saying about the plastic thing and the retouching, um, you know, everybody is, that, that has that goal of like looking for their own unique visual style and post definitely comes into it. I think, you know, like when you look at somebody like Alan Schaller, uh, like the guy, um, please don't, <laughs> but continue. <laughs> but, but you know, like he, he has great composition, a great sense of composition, but I think, uh, you know, there's a significant portion of what he does, mm-hmm. which what he brings to it in his images where he has a certain way of post-processing his images yeah. and, you know, very high contrast and, 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 and I, and I dig it and it's his way of doing things. And, but it's definitely, you can see like the post is very much present in what the image is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that is, I know my images, I, you know, because I know the sliders I go to and I know what I'm trying to bring out of the image, mm-hmm. you know, like when, like I know you shoot with a monochrome camera, I do too. I convert stuff to monochrome. I don't really like gray. I like black and I like white. Yeah. I like contrast, you know, and some people love all the shades of gray and they like it more of a flat kind of a thing. You know, maybe it's because I shot with triax and it was like grainy as shit. And mm-hmm. I want everything to look like a film noir or, or something, you know, but well, although plenty of film noir movies are, have a lot of gray in them, but um, anyway, you know, that there's, there's a, there's a school of photographer on Instagram that, kind of plays to what Instagram is. And, you know, it's like, I'm going to put a certain kind of filter on my photograph because it's good. And they're all going to look like a, a cinematic look or a filmic look. And I see that stuff on, you know, and some of these people have hundreds of thousands of followers and hugely successful careers and books and stuff. And I look at the photographs and I think the photographs visually, it looks like it could be a still from a, you know, from heat or something. Mm-hmm some Michael Mann movie, but when I look at the emotional content of the photograph, I'm like, where's, where's that, you know? And, um, Ralph Gibson, who is somebody who, whose work I admire a lot, um, talked about, you know, if you get really good at Photoshop, um, all your, the better you get at Photoshop, the more your pictures like somebody look like somebody who's good at Photoshop. And I think that there's kind of a, a, a true, that you know like when the when you start serving the algorithm or start serving the audience by making images look a certain way because that's what the crowd wants i mean i guess it's good for some people because they can build careers off it but i I have fucking zero interest in that i don't want to i'm not doing anything that i do like i'm not going to start doing reels on instagram because they say it's not a photo sharing application like i don't want to all of a sudden change my work because some dickhead billionaire at instagram is like there's more engagement with reels. Oh, fuck you. I'm a photographer. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that we all built your platform with free content and now you can buy a fucking yacht, but I really don't, I'm not going to change what I do because you know, you want more engagement on your service. Uh, you know, anyway, that's my, that's my, that's a little rant. Oh, no worries. Anyway. We're going to go down that rabbit hole a little bit later. I wrote it down. I'm taking notes over here. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I kind of, uh, if anyone that's listened to me, talk about Instagram, they know my relationship with it, and I only use it as a connection app now. And what I mean by that is reaching out to other photographers. I am lucky that I can say I have not posted one reel 
So uh, I am not going down that path as well. Um, I will wait my one to three months before I post another set of photos. And I like where it's at right now. It's not, and I'm only talking about my my page now, my little profile thing. It's not uh, oversaturated with an overabundance of photos. Uh, I'm trying to capture a series, a story once and sharing it, you know, like this is what's going on in my life. Uh, so that's why you only see 12 photos, um, sets of photos. So it's it's not a single photo anymore. It's a series of photos. So, uh, yeah, I like where it's at. Um, but I agree with you. Like, it's Instagram is no longer the photo sharing app, and it's trying to compete with all the other people that are stealing, stealing the customers to let them put the gas in their billion-dollar yacht. So there's that. Well, and I, the, the, what I extract of value from it is, you know, I follow mostly other photographers, but there's a lot of people who I respect in my photographic community in the New York, New York metro area um, and in the global photographic community, like people like Paul, who I wouldn't have known, but, you know, he and I both have been featured in, in uh, LFI uh, magazine and we got to know each other just saw each other's works you know became friendly just because we follow each other like that 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 is that is the that is largely in part of due to instagram mm-hmm. and the people who i'm friends with in the new york metro area when they shoot when we go out and i see them we say hi i'm up to date on what you know on what they've been doing we might go to the park the same day and i might and we saw somebody and we both took pictures and i get to see that what they did and i think having peers and being able to see their work helps me because it puts it in contact of what i'm context of what i'm trying to do it helps me support my community so mm-hmm. you know i um i understand their work when they're doing zines or if they're doing a show um some of them have you know, shows on Instagram where they do Instagram live and I'll show up that and listen to other people's perspectives. And I think that there's value. So I don't want to say Instagram has no value, but I, you know, I've been in new technology since 93, 94. Like I first got into new technology when it, when everybody thought it was going to be CD-ROMs and multimedia. And it was, you know, fascinating stuff, but you have to remember at the end of the day that what they're just trying to do is get a lot of engagement, get a lot of users, sell a lot of advertising, use our personal information so that they can all be obscenely rich. Yeah. And, and as long as you know that, like I, I try not to participate in that. I try to use it for what its strengths are mm-hmm. and, and strengthen my connection to my community and my knowledge of the craft. And that's, that's what I extract from it. I'm not looking for the adulation. I'm not, I'm not looking to like sell my fucking presets like some people. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. If that's what somebody wants to do, if that's how they pay the bills, whatever. But it's, it's not what gets me off. It's not why I do it. Yeah. So Instagram actually forces you to force yourself to accept their advertisements. So I'm not sure if many people know this, but you know, on the iPhone, I don't know about Android because I don't use Android, but uh, there's that privacy setting where it says allow microphone. Yeah, yeah. To be used during the app. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you probably notice if you're having a conversation with someone and you're talking, we'll use uh, either a cup of coffee or a car. We'll use a car. You're talking about, oh, man, I need to buy a brand new car. And, and probably now that I'm saying this, my Instagram's probably going to be filled with cars now. Uh, so they're actually listening to what you say and they're sneaking in those advertisements. I was aware yeah. of this years ago when I lived in England and I tried turning the microphone off. 
However, if you do, they don't let you post. You can't do nothing. Huh. Yeah. Huh. I, I, I'm not aware of that. But I mean, I think the thing is like, you know, it's important. It's incumbent on all of us because it's just, you know, throughout human history, there's always been somebody, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there used to be the, you know, a feudal system where there was like, you know, a king or a lord or whatever. And there were peasants out working in the field with the plague, like working in the slop, trying to dig out a potato to feed their family. And there was some, some guy, some king sitting up somewhere, like the chicken leg, having somebody feed him grapes or something like that. You know, there's always been somebody on top of the pile and the rest of us, you know? So, um, I, I just try to, I use it for, you know, I, I, I use it for, increasing my humanity as a tool to help increase my humanity. Because if I, if I use it to connect to other people and make those connections important and of value, mm-hmm. then I'm fighting against what they really want to do. Cause really at the end of the day, they don't want any human connection out of all these things. They're not, there's no philanthropic philanthropic reason, like pick any of the guys who run these services, you know, whether it's Daniel Ack or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, any of these guys, they're, not looking out for us at all. And if we're going to be in that place, it's like, that's how the rules are. But I just, what I do is I remind myself of that and I go like, okay, I'm going to use this to to make real human connections. Mm -hmm. And I do, because I see those people when I go to the park, I see them and I say, Hey man, I saw that picture you posted or I listened to your show the other day, or I see you got a show coming up and I do the human thing. I connect it back to my humanity. And that's, I think it's important to remind yourself of that. I'm not into that doom scrolling shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They they want your one potato you 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 dug up so just keep that in mind exactly yeah they they don't want exactly they want all the potatoes even if they don't eat it so absolutely they want all the potatoes out man there who absolutely digging potatoes guard your potatoes with your life I don't know why I'm talking about <laughs> potatoes but anyway since we're on the topic let's go ahead and introduce your social medias Twitters Facebooks websites anything that you own. And you would like the world to know about so they can view your work. And then we will discuss a photo of yours. I picked is a really interesting one. I like it. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, my main feed is is uh, The Trickness. T-H-E-T-R-I-C-K-N-E-S-S. And that's... Um, that actually comes from... I, I, um, I, I was obsessed with motorcycles for a long time. And my brother and I would, whenever I had, I had Ducatis and all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and, uh, I would always buy these, like, you know, you'd buy like a carbon fiber sprocket or air filter cover or something and be like, you know, two, 300 bucks for some little piece of carbon fiber. And my brother, my, my brother would go like, Oh, trickness. This is so trick, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and it was just, you know, this is the trickness, you know, like, because it was just so bomb, you know, it's like some, little gadget that maybe nobody will ever see, but it's like some ultra, you know, unobtainium material or something down on the motorcycle. So I just like had that as an email address and whatnot. I'm just kind of stuck with it. So that's why it's called the trickness. And I think it kind of, it kind of speaks to just being a little, maybe gear obsessed Mm -hmm. or into weird or obscure or fantastic gear. And my page doesn't really talk, you know, isn't really about the gear per se, but, that's that's kind of where that comes from, and that's that's me mostly. It's Instagram. I started posting a little bit on Twitter, but I think Twitter's kind of I don't know. It's kind of a waste of time, but um, that's my main thing. It's it's just Instagram. Okay. 
So go check them out on Instagram, The Trickness. I will add the link in the podcast notes like I always do. And the photo I selected is a street portrait. Very, very awesome street portrait. Very steampunkish. Uh, but yeah, tell me about the photo. I will show you um, anything you remember about it. What kind of caught you to inspire you to take it? I do, and this is gonna. And, I'm, and I don't want to sound precious, so I'm, and um, but this it, this is this is gonna be funny. This is probably not gonna be the reaction you expected, but I, I think I do remember what that what that photo was. This um, person, their name is uh, Aiden, and they told me that they kind of have two looks, and one is a little pensive, and one is kind of zany and kind of out there. And I met this person in, in Washington Square Park. They have a huge heart. We had a great interaction. They love the photograph. Um, but... I think that this photograph, as much as it's technically well executed and it's interesting, I think it's probably the biggest piece of shit photograph on my whole feed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I'm kind of a little uh, embarrassed that I picked it. I liked it. No, 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 don't. No, no, no. Listen, and this is why I had to caveat it because it's no knock, but I kind of want to explain why I I feel that way because no one would know, right? But... To me, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when my kids ask for a Captain Crunch, I get it for them. And I know that it's like, you know, I know why they want it. It's sweet. It goes down easy. It's a confection. It's crunchy. It's got a pretty colorful outside. It's, you know, yummy. But at the end of the day, there's no nutrition in it. It's bad for them. It's going to give them diabetes. It's, 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 there's no there there. And to me, this photograph, I took it and I posted it because they wanted me to post it and because they enjoy it. But what I don't, I what I see here is I, it's it's artifice. It's someone projecting. It's like a mask. It's a facade. It's not their humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. And I got and a lot of people like it. It's one of the most popular photographs on my feed. You know, I, I, and it only has sixty four likes because you know Instagram doesn't like photography anymore. But <clears throat> but it, when I when I took the picture, I'm like. You know, this is a visually interesting picture. And then someone might say, oh, what's this? And I get steampunk thing and everything. And I understand the appeal of it. But for me personally, just emotionally, like the thing that really means something to me, like Jay Mizell is a fantastic video on Vimeo where he talks about gesture. Have you ever seen that? I, I would have video. Not, I'm going to write it down and then I'll look it up. Um, oh, you could send me the link. It's, I will. It's it's. It's like two, three minutes where he talks about gesture in a photograph. And he doesn't mean gesture like how someone moves their hand. Because he, he says like a building could have gesture, a tree could have gesture, water could have gesture. There's like some, a building. There's just some dimension there that has a uniqueness and something that like kind of either raises a question or there's just some kind of resonance there that means something. And this photograph does not have that because the person's putting on a facade and they're, they're trying to show themselves in a, to the world mm-hmm. in a, in a specific way with that facade. So I don't consider it to be a successful photo photograph relative to some other photographs on, on there, because what I do when I normally take pictures of people, 
I mean, I go up to them and I'll say, you know, you're really interesting. You're beautiful. Can I please take your portrait? I'll show them my work. I'll give them my business card. I'll tell them I'm giving them the prints. So I'll ask them where they're from. I ask them what they're, you know, we have an interaction. And the first few photographs are always, you know, because I, I might take 10 pictures if I'm doing a portrait thing. I might take five, but I stop once I know I've gotten what I've got. Because at some point, some all the kind of like, oh, someone's taking my picture. Oh, I want to smile. Or, oh, I want to look good. Like, you know, and I'm interacting with the person we're talking. All of that, all the walls come down. Yeah. And they settle into it. And you get it. And then beyond that point, the clock starts ticking because their friends there, they want to smoke a joint, they got to go get something to eat, and then you lose that. So there's this moment in time where you're going to make that connection and you're going to get something good. Yeah. And I know it, I feel it, it leaps right into the camera, and I'm like, got it, got it. Some people give it to you five or six times when you take 10 pictures. Yeah. Some people will give it to you not at all. There's another picture of, of, of them um, on my feed where they're holding open their coat mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of a look that has a little bit of a pout and it's closer to what I wanted to get, but it's, it's still not the essence of that person. Yeah. And that person has a lot of fragility. I see what they post about. There's a lot of emotional stuff going on. There's a lot of challenges. They're, they have a beautiful, they're a beautiful person. Um, but they're not everybody exposes that. Mm -hmm. And it, just as a, to, to wrap that aspect of it up, like there's a, there was a kid that I was taking a picture of in Washington square park. He asked me to take a picture of him and he had been drinking a lot. And I took like five pictures of him and the picture I liked that I chose, he was making this weird smirk mm -hmm. and he, and he, cause he's kind of a clown. Right. So I took that picture and I posted it and he sent me a note saying like, Hey man, could you take that down? I don't like it. I don't like the expression on my face. You know, can you post this other one? Cause I'd send him all the pictures and he looks cool. He looks like he's got some swagger, you know? Yeah. But the thing is he, you know, he's like a clown. He's funny. He's funny. Mm -hmm. And he made cracks everybody up unintentionally. So half the time. So the reality of who I saw him as was the picture that he didn't like what he, who he wanted to be was somebody who had some swagger, mm -hmm. but that's not what I saw. I knew that that's what he wanted to project. That's and that's the challenge as a, yeah. Do you do what the person wants? And I deleted the photograph because he didn't, you know, he didn't want it up there and I'm going to see him again. I'm not going to keep it up there and say, no, yeah. tough shit. You know, I took it down, but it's who he was. And so that's when I, I was going to send you a note. I thought for a second, Oh, should we talk about another picture? Because I don't love this picture. Mm -hmm. But I thought, no, it's important to look, to have things that remind you, well, you know, some people might like this, but it isn't necessarily what I'm trying to accomplish, mm -hmm. or I might not think, think it's successful. And maybe nobody else even knows why, but I know why. Yeah. And I think that picture for me is a failure, but I know that maybe I made some kind of connection with, with this person. And maybe next time I see them, maybe I'll get what I want mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. So no, no shot to you, man. No, no slay. <laughs> I'm sorry if it came off that way. No, no, no. It's cool. I like, I like to hear these, uh, these stories cause it, it kind of, it tells the story behind the photo. I, I'm, I was working with someone, I'm going to call him my mentor and I'm still kind of, uh, working with him to develop, develop my ph photographic brain. Um, and you know, well, something he told me was like, you know, cause I had to submit some photos to him and he was looking at him. He's like, 
if I don't know you, and this is coming from a viewer aspect, right? If I don't know you personally, I don't know why you took these photos. All I have to go on by looking at these photos are the photos itself. So whatever I see is, is all for the photo. The photo is all I have to go off yep. of. So like to actually listen to, you know, the, the thought process and how you feel about how you make your photos, uh, I appreciate it. The listeners appreciate it. And, you know, now we understand. We understand a little more about you. Uh, for me, I, without knowing this, the story on why you felt, you know, this way about the photo, I honestly picked it because I just envisioned this person walking around with the kaleidoscope glasses, you know, kind of seeing like a fly in, from a movie standpoint, you know, like the... There's, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Like, the, I mean, I'm sure they do wear these in person, but like they're not walking with them on because they'll probably be walking into everything. Uh, it, that's what caught my interest on this photo. Uh, and I'm pretty sure for you, you have your favorite photo you take. I had my favorite photo I've taken and all of that. But uh, like I said, like the photo is all I have at the moment. So, uh, but it's good to hear yeah. your side of this. You know, and that's why I asked the question, you know, uh, the story behind the photo. So we appreciate it. Coincidence, I picked your least favorite photo of the of the <laughs> I t- I, It's cool. Yeah. And honestly, no, it's inf- it's informative for me to, to 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 know to see why you know, to see that somebody picked it. Um because, you know, we I, I mean, I don't make my work for other people. Yeah. But it's it would be pretentious and ignorant not to understand that people are gonna look at things different maybe than what your intent is, or they might extract something from it different. I mean, having been in the music business my, my whole life, I know how people will say to artists, oh, this song means so much to me, or it meant this, or it meant that. And the artist might be like, well, that's not what the song's about. But people put their own meanings on stuff. And I, and I get why this is interesting, because it's just unusual. Looking. If, I, if you came to New York and we went to Washington Square Park, you would you would see really quickly like there's all sorts of interesting looking people all over and there's a lot of people who you know that's the veneer that's the that's the surface right and there's a lot of people who come to Washington Square Park and shoot the surface I see them on, I see them on the feed on Instagram all the time because I follow the hashtag and I see surface pictures all the time what I'm trying to do because I've been there enough and believe me I took my surface pictures the first few times I showed up there what I want to see is all these kids that are trying to that are at this moment in, the, in their life when they're trying to express themselves and find out who they are mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, you know, it's like to throw back a nineties reference, like Kurt Cobain, Nirvana, you know, like I'm going to, you know, dye my hair pink or green and I'm going to say everything sucks. and I'm going to growl at people and shit. And it's like, well, there's something underneath all that. There's something driving all that. And all that layer is like a repellent to a lot of people. To me, it's an attractor because I'm like, Oh, clearly there's something underneath that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in, the, the fucking clown show. No, I don't. I don't want to call it a clown show. That, that, that makes it sound like I'm diminishing what people are doing. I'm not. I'm not going there looking for it. Like, oh, isn't this funny? Isn't this curious? Isn't this a goof? That's not. I. What I do is I say like somebody's expressing himself in a way that is counter to what society would 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 say is a normal way to represent yourself. Right? Like button down, normal hair, great haircut, dress clean, blah blah blah, whatever. Why? What do, they, what do they have to say? How are they expressing themselves? I'm interested in what's beneath the exterior. Yeah. You know, always. So. Right. Anyway. No, no, no. I, I like to hear people talk. You know, I've been doing this podcast, so 
if you have more to say about it, feel free always. Um, don't ever feel like I'm, I'm rushing. <laughs> I think I blabbed enough, man. No, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Me, I ran I my mouth enough on that subject. <laughs> well, we'll probably. We're cool. I'm sorry. And and seriously, man, no knock for you liking that picture. I don't want you to feel like that or like I was being a dick. That was not my intention at all. So no, no I'm sorry if you came off that way. I, I have tough skin. Believe me, I, I, I'm not easily offended. I, I like your work. I like your photos. I just, like I said, like you said, oh, I hate that photo I took. Uh, well, you didn't say hate, but I, I, that's your least favorite photo. And I'm like, oh, shit, I took the wrong one. So um, No, there's no such thing as the wrong one, man. No such thing. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to go. Okay, so we got a lot of your process. We know what you look for. Um, but now we kind of want to know a story of, like, we're walking next to you. What's your actual street photography process? We got your thought process, what you look for how you actually navigate through the streets, you, you kind of, you know, up close and personal and shooting with a 21, you do got to get really fucking close. So, um, but yeah, tell yeah. us like your actual street photography process as if we were walking next to you, watching you take photos. Well, I, I'm kind of, I always bring, I typically bring two lenses with me. I'll bring a, I'll bring a 21, I'll mount it. I'll go out with the 21 Cause if I'm going to end up at the park or I'm going to end up somewhere where I'm going to take portraits, I'll have portrait lens in the bag and I'll have the wide lens with me when I go out. <clears throat> I always, uh, I shoot, uh, an SL. Typically I also have a Q2 monochrome, but I, I have an SL two and, um, I mount, I have some SL glass on it that I use for portraits cause it's not really conducive to street photography because the lens is too big and they're out of focus. I find manual focus is better, but, um, I zone focus. So I'll go out, before I leave the house, I'll put the 21 or a 28 on and I'll say, okay, I want everything in focus between three and nine feet or three and 15 feet. And the great thing about a 21 is you get a lot of depth of field. Yeah. So I can put it at five, at five, six, I have a 21 super Elmar. Or I, I can put it at five, six and, and get everything between maybe three feet and 12 or 15 feet. And what I do is I, you know, I'll go to the areas. I mean, I'll just start walking. I'll take this. I, I'll go to areas that I know are fertile. It's almost like a fisherman has like their fishing holes where they've had luck before yeah. and they know that there's a lot of stuff happening and I'll go to those places. And, you know, I just, I walk in, there's this one place in New York, the garment district. And there's, it's kind of, that's a microcosm of, of, of what New York is like, because it's, it's not really a gentrified area yet. Um, it's pretty close to a bus station. There's a lot of, you know, drug addicts, a lot of homeless people, a lot of people with, you know, because New York just throws their mentally ill onto the streets for the most part. But there's also fashion designers, people that are dressed like unbelievably amazing, fantastic, like people who are like wearing super interesting clothing and who have started their own brands. And, you know, so there's this kind of contrast of like one second you might be walking down the street and see somebody who looks totally deranged or you might see somebody selling drugs or I might see a fortune teller or a delivery person or street food, you know, somebody selling street food. <clears throat> and then I'll see somebody walking down the street. Who's like a peacock, you know, mm -hmm. who's wearing like a red velvet suit with a giant red hat and diamond sunglasses. So in the middle of all this squalor, someone will walk through that. Who's like, who just is like the whole street almost like lights up with that person. And so when I'm doing that, because that's how I typically how I start, I'll if I, whoever it is if they interest if they interest me photographically, I'll hone in on them. I might run across the street 
um, I'll get behind somebody or get on a beeline with them, like I was talking about earlier, and I'll get right up close. I'll figure out whether or not I want to take a picture horizontally or vertically, mm-hmm. and and I'll get I'll get right up on the person and wait until I'm literally about to bang into them, and then I'll you know I'll trip my shutter, and I don't chimp right after I do it because I don't want anybody to see that they're taking a picture. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if I've gotten it until maybe later. If I see somebody who I think is really interesting photographically, I'll say who, who like somebody who's like beautiful or sometimes people engage with me. Like they'll just, I've talked to, I talked to a, a guy who was a clearly a corner boss selling really hardcore drugs. Um, you know, had dealers, basically people would come up who look like zombies. I mean, it was like straight out of the walking dead mm-hmm. people who were in really bad shape coming up to him and they would ask for something. And then he would tell people go off and do this or that. And I took a couple of pictures and he saw me taking a picture of him. And then we engaged and he asked me what I was doing. And I showed him my feet and we talked, I got to know him. His name was Jim. And, um, over the course of like meeting him a few times and going down there and taking pictures. I mean, it was clear in like in five minutes, he was corner boss. He was overseeing everything. It was also clear that the cops knew what he was doing because he like gave them like, you know, like a fist bump when they walk by yeah. and he's standing on the corner and there's all these like zombies walking up to him. So the <laughs> cops know what he's doing. So he's either paying them off or they're just okay with it because it's controlled. I don't know, but I engaged with him. And so, you know, then I got the video and I, you know, took some portraits of him and I printed them. And, you know, he's, I'm having a conversation with him and he's telling me about how he's trying, he, when people talk to him, he tries to tell him to get off drugs mm-hmm. and how he used drugs years ago and he got off it and he has, but he has to make his money. He has to feed his family. He tries to steer people the right way. So it's kind of, it was this weird thing because here's this guy who's like overseeing this corner and he's, you know, dealing and there's all these people who are the total wretches. Most of them probably going to be, you know, dead. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to me about these like noble aspirations he has and how he tries to get people off drugs and everything. So it was, you know, weird, but it was this thing of like, I might see somebody who's in really bad shape and and then just decide I'm not going to take a picture that gets exploited. Or I might see somebody who's in bad shape and they talk to me and I stand and I talk to them. I find out their name and we engage. I might give them a couple bucks um, or buy them something to eat maybe. But I, I might switch from the 21 and then go to the, and say, can I take a portrait? And I put the 50 on and it becomes a different thing. Yeah. So if you look at my feed, you'll see this constant back and forth between photographs that look like are wider shots with people who clearly are not posing and then people who are posing. And like there's one picture of a guy holding a paper airplane mm-hmm. and I was walking down the sidewalk and he had a paper airplane. He was throwing it up in the air and then he'd fall throwing it up and like it fall and then he threw it up and landed on the ground and he kept walking it was on the ground and I said hey man hey I said don't lose this this is your special paper airplane <laughs> and he turned around and he gave me this look and he like went over and he picked up the airplane and he stood there and he was laughing and he was throwing it up in the air and then retrieving it and I was like having this moment with him I talked to him and I took his photograph of him holding this paper airplane in the garment district yeah. you know and so it switched from isn't this an interesting photographic thing that I can try to capture surreptitiously mm-hmm. to me engaging with him and him doing a portrait for me. So I'm constantly going forward, back and forth between, you know, trying to grab something surreptitiously and 
doing a portrait. And like I said, I'm, I, what I'm looking for is either the dream or the nightmare, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to call these people nightmares. That's not what I'm saying, but seeing something that like you don't normally see, it could be hard. It could have edge. It could be a little scary. It could be rough. It could be something that people don't normally see or something that's like incredibly beautiful that you would, you know, dream on a cloud. I want those two extremes. So that's what I'm looking for is just constant switchboard between the dream, the nightmare, surreptitious, you know, capturing a person in a moment Mm -hmm. or actually going right in with them and getting something. And I I don't know. I don't know if that makes my work weaker because I'm not as focused on one thing or the other. Yeah. I'm still figuring that out, but that's, that's, that's what I do pretty much. No worries. I, I like that. And, you know, you, you develop a, a connection, especially like a lot of irony with the story of the corner worker, you know, selling his uh, product to people he's trying to not sell the product to. Uh, all kinds of things. And, and then the engagement you have, a lot of people, you know, because of smartphones and the digital era, people lost the art of engagement. So they don't know how to approach a person and have a conversation. And it's still good to see us older people who had to do that in our days when we were younger, still apply that. And, uh, believe it or not, people see it. They kind of want to imitate it. They might do it. Like, Hey, this guy can walk up to a person. Why can't I, uh, you know, I've met people who are scared to talk to another person. And I'm, I'm over here having conversations with the people they won't talk to. And how can you do that? I'm like, well, honestly, He's a person just like me, you know, that's it. We're all people. So the engagement, that's, that's real important. A lot of people are losing that uh, skill, that art, and it's good to see. I like the story with the airplane. I, I'm going to go look for that photo now. Um, but I, I want to ask, so when when you find your pers- the person you want to take the photo, I know you were you're saying earlier you, you take a few photos before, you know, they got that. Uh, we'll call it the Instagram, you know, uh, that two-second engagement. Right. So um, what elements do you look for before you push the shutter? Right. Because anyone could just and then spray and pray like, okay, I think I got one that I like. When do you know when's the moment to push the shutter whenever you have that engagement and that connection, that brief? Because you you say you you got very limited time. When's your moment? You're talking about portraiture as opposed to surreptitious stuff, right? Yes. Okay. Um. Well, it's a combination of things. I, I'm looking through the viewfinder and I'm moving around to see what um, environmental um, features I want in the composition. Mm-hmm. So I'm moving the frame around. So there's, so that adds another layer, layer of complexity, right? Because if you're taking a portrait, you know, if, I, if you're taking a, a, a picture of street photography, it's really like in terms of like the most impossible things. This is where people like Joel Meyerowitz really deserve tremendous amount of respect. If you're taking a picture where everything's in balance and the composition has, there's a reason why everything's in the frame. It's really mm-hmm. at the end of the day, let's just say, I, 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 and this is going to sound dicky or, or pretentious and fuck it. I don't care. Like 95% of street photography is bullshit because it's not thinking about what's in the frame. It's like there's things in the frame for no reason or, and, and the people who do it really well, and I do not count myself amongst those, those people. But if you look at some of the work that Joel Meyer has done, like there's a famous picture of him 
uh, uh, that he took in, in Paris of like someone lying on the ground and a this hammer. person standing over him with a hammer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, look at every person in the picture. They all, it looks like, a, it looks like something from a movie. It looks like everyone was told what to do. That is fucking genius to be able to see that and get that. And, and it, and it's so, so, so incredibly hard to do that. Right. And we're all struggling to kind of get that. I don't know how many street photographers know that that's kind of what you're supposed to be striving for. Cause I see a lot of street photography that has all sorts of stuff in it that does not belong in the frame. Or if you were to quiz them and say, why is that in the frame? They'd say, well, because the person was there or whatever. Yeah. In portraiture, you, you know, and I, but I get that it's really hard. It's not impossible most of the time to have all those elements in balance. It's the hardest fucking thing in photography period to do that. And the people that do it consistently are geniuses in portraiture. You have no excuse for having shit in the frame that should not be there because you are controlling the environment. So what I'm trying to do before I even get to the picture of the person is also, well, what do I want in the frame? What am I trying to convey in, in the frame? Am I trying to delete? Am I trying to blow something out in the background but have it give an impressionistic background? Am, am I, you know, what? So there's like, there's that consideration, what's in the frame. But then in terms of what I'm trying to get from the person, I want the artifice to come down. I want the mask to come down. I want there to be a human connection. I want their, I want gesture. It's something in their eye. It's something in the corner of their mouth. It's something in the way they move their hand. It's the way I, you know, their hair moved, you know, and, and if I see that, I'm, I'm not saying I succeed in every single one of my photographs mm. at all because I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't, but the ones that mean the most to me are when that gesture there. And I literally, I urge everyone forget about every other thing that I said on this podcast. Cause it's just an old dude talking out of his ass, <laughs> except this one thing. <laughs> Go watch the video that where Jay Mizell on Vimeo where he talks about gesture and photograph because that's what I'm looking for. I'm just, just look, is it a certain attitude? Is it the way a lip, the lip is curled? It, like, is it the glint off an earring? Is it the way the, the glasses come down? Is it the eyes? Is it you know what is it? Mm-hmm. There's there's got to be that, and I know, and I see it when I can see it. But the thing is, to have that, to get that, you need to make a connection and to make it a good photograph, you need to think about what else is in the frame. Yeah. And if, and and the great thing about a 21, um, I can see the fear in people's photographs. When I look at like Washington square park is a great little Petri dish or microscope slide of looking at other people's work because we're all taking pictures of a lot of the same people. And I see how other people take those pictures and it, it's educational to me. It shows me where I need to improve. It shows me, um, things that I need to do better or things that I'm doing good at versus other people, you know, whatever. But what I'll see the fear in the photograph. Cause I'll say, I'll see that like that connection wasn't made and there's all sorts of shit in the photograph. And I see that like, there's a distance between the subject and the, like it's almost like someone was scared to pick up the camera and they've got, you know, a 70 to 200 and they're like, bang, red leg, you know, ooh, ooh, babe, let me grab this real quick to put it down. And, and the pictures aren't good. So yeah. it, it, to me, if it gets somebody else off, if it gets them out of the house, if, if, you know, everybody's got to improve. It's not like I woke up a fully formed photographer. I'm not at all fully formed photographer, but, but I know enough to know 
that if you're just like sneaking something mm-hmm. and you're not getting to that moment, I know when I haven't gotten that moment. And I know just by looking somebody, whether I'm ever going to get it from, them. yeah, or whether I can, whether I, I, I look and see, I, I can look at somebody and see whether the possibility for that thing is within them, mm-hmm. whether or not I can get it depends on whether or not I can connect with them. Yeah. And, and whether or not the mood, they're in the mood to give it to me because some people you don't crack, yeah. but you're not, you know, shoot with a prime, shoot close. And, you know, put yourself naked in the howling wind, get the shit kicked out of you, yeah. break it down, act as if that's, that's the key, the key phrase, act as if you're scared. We all are, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I don't just go up to everybody like full of piss and vinegar and like, I'm just going to go talk to this person. Like there's a little tremble in me every time that I do it. I just act as if that's what I need to do. I act as if I'm the guy who's not scared. I act as if I have to go get something that they have and I'm going to give them, and there's going to be an exchange of value and there's going to be some humanity in that moment. I act as if that's what it is. Cause that's what I, that's, that is what it is. And acting as if lets you, gives you permission to forget about all that fear. But if your pictures are not good enough, you know, that's a, again, back to photograph cliches, cap thing. If your pictures aren't good enough, you're not close enough. Yeah. If your pictures aren't good enough, it's because you're scared. Oh, you can cool. say, yeah. So I, I like how you're saying you know your your moment, and I think as photographers, we all know when we capture that moment. Uh, there was this nature photographer he spent, and I believe this is accurate from what I read. I can't remember. It was kind of a little while ago. Um, but he spent over 10 years and over 10,000 photos just trying to get the one shot, right? He was a nature photographer. The picture he was trying to capture was a bird coming straight down and like diving for food or whatever it was. And 10 years of trying to take the same exact photo and he finally got it after so long. So uh, that's dedication, but you know, your moment when you get it right. So something only you would know about your photos. So uh, I appreciate it. And it's weird how we connect these things. So, uh, but yeah. Well, and that's a Zen thing too. If you think about it, that's like a Zen, that's like a Zen thing. You know, like if you read of any masters, you know, in martial arts or, or in, or in, you know, meditation and spirituality, whatever, like if when somebody puts in all that time, you know, concentrating on one thing, trying to do that, trying to do one thing, like a tea ceremony, do it like perfectly or something like that. And it takes years and years and years to kind of make something look like you spent no time trying to figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 10 years though. Um, That's Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, but, or, I mean, Hey, you could, you could, uh, reference if you don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, hokey and magical about it. You can talk about Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, right? Like everything he, all, all those, or or Mr. Miyagi waxed on, wax off, you know, like all, you know, you do all that shit and it, it it brought you that moment because you put in the work and I'm sorry, there's no preset you can buy for Lightroom that it's going to fucking give you that result. That is That's true. all blood, sweat, tears. I like that pain, yeah. disappointment. Yeah. You know, we we have an we have an expression. The friends that I have here in, in New York, it's like when you know the shit is what makes the flowers grow. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. No presets here. Everybody, go out, do the work. Put your <laughs> ten, put your ten thousand hours in. Uh, but what is something you learned that you feel all photographers should know? Um, 
Hmm. I think we've been talking about it the whole time, man. You know? Yeah. Like how to build a community, lean on that community, listen to people who have experiences, even people who just started shooting might teach you something that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, if your pictures aren't good, it's cause, probably because you're scared and fuck that fear, you know, mm-hmm. beat it, beat it down, beat the shit out of it. Your pictures will get better. Um, uh, Ralph Gibson said something I think that was, uh, I try to live by, which is that there's no more satisfying sound than the sound of a zoom lens being thrown into a swimming pool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like get a prime, <laughs> you know, definitely. If, if you want to, if, if you want to become a better photographer, like learn to learn how your lens sees mm-hmm. and learn how to use your feet to put your ass where it needs to be to make the photograph. Stop being lazy. Stop using, a, you know, don't use a zoom. Um, I have a friend who's a, a, a genius photographer who, has been, he's been shooting with zoom and takes brilliant photographs. So he kind of belies everything that I just said, but he had an issue with his lens. And so, um, he's shooting with a 28 now and he's never, he hasn't shot with a prime before and he's zone focusing, which he hadn't really done before. And he's, he has to get closer mm-hmm. and his pictures before he was using the prime are brilliant. And the pictures with the prime are brilliant, but I, I think it's just like, that that whole thing of like getting a 28 or getting a 21, you know, there's a reason why everyone says get a 28 or a 21. I don't even like a 35. I want to get, I want to get close. So try to get close. Mm-hmm. I'm a 35 guy. I have a 28. Uh, I, I don't want to say I, I, I'm not comfortable shooting a 28. I just, all my focal lengths have their purpose. Uh, but I typically like to stay in the 35 because yeah. it's kind of like <clears throat> a, a balance for me. Like I like fifties. I like wide. And for me, the 35 is the happy medium. And like you said, I, I know how to zoom with my feet. So there's there's always that. Um, the 21, I've never used one before. I did have a fisheye lens way, 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 many, 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 many years when I first began photography. And But that just gives you a whole different look. Um, uh, yeah, I've never, I would. I well, like the, the, the thing about, the thing that's great about. What? Go ahead. I'm sorry, man. No, 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 no. You're good. No, I was just going to say the, the the thing to me about a 35 that I don't like is you don't have the latitude with the depth of field mm-hmm. unless you're really, really stopping the lens down. And when the wider you go, the more latitude you have with depth of field, which means it's easier to zone focus. But it also means that you're going to have to be closer. And it also at 21 means that anything at the corners are going to tend to bend inwards. It's going to distort, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to think when you're taking your picture, where are you going to put the person in the frame? But, you know, I never liked 28. I, I liked wider lenses. One of my favorite focal lengths is 75 because I'm a portrait photographer, mm-hmm. but for the most part, or a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a photographer named, who's one of my favorite photographers named Jean-Luc Sif, mm-hmm. who's a French photographer, did a lot of fashion. He shot a lot of celebrities. He did a book of butts. <laughs> like of just asses, I think it was called derrieres or something. Yeah. But he did fashion photography with a twenty-eight and a twenty-one, mm-hmm. which no one shot with twenty-eight and twenty-one. And if you look at his book, you know when people are like, oh, you can't do this with this focal lens in length, you can't do that, right? This guy shot unbelievable fashion photography with a twenty-one, mm-hmm. with like beautiful models. And but knowing, okay, well, what does a twenty-one do? I'm, I'll put the model in the foreground, and then there'll be a dune in the background, and it'll. You know, you'll get this separation and this distance in it. And it's it's brilliant, but 
the, the easiest thing about a wider lens is just that if you zone focus, you have more depth of field yeah. latitude. I can shoot at five, six and have everything between three feet and like, mm-hmm. you know, 15 feet being focused. So if you're about to crash into somebody, <laughs> you know, if I'm three feet away and I trip the shutter, I know I'm good. They can't do that on a 35. Uh, uh, so uh, I know what you mean. You're anyway. crashing with somebody. I almost had my head chopped off one day. Just I was out with my daughter. We went to this little theme park and there's the little automated cars you sit in. And I will tell you, they tell you to leave your appendages in the vehicle for a reason. And I'm that guy. I'm the photographer. So I got my head sticking out with the camera and I'm taking pictures of all the cool shit. And then I see the pole. And when you're looking through a lens, you don't know how close that thing really is. So I'm like, oh, I got plenty of time, plenty of time, and it's getting closer. And I don't know why, but I'm like, okay, this is about right. And when I took the camera away, like the pole was like, it was kind of like one of those. Yeah, it almost chopped my head off. (laughs) Whoa. It was that close. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Keep your your limbs and your head in the vehicles at all times. This is perfect timing because. (laughs) <laughs> at all yeah that thing would have yeah. smushed the camera in my face and probably just ripped whatever was out right off so yeah Ugh. be aware of your surroundings Yikes. so what challenges have you faced that unmotivated you with photography if you had any I, I face it every week mm-hmm. you know you, why, you know, why are you doing this? What's the payoff? Um, does anyone care? You know, are, are you going to go out and take the same kind of pictures? Uh, you go out, you have a day and you, you don't, you don't think you get anything. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the, I, I, a lot of times before I get out, you know, I had a day, I was telling this friend of mine, for sure, I was like, um, you know, I had a day where I, I, there was just this inner voice just saying, this is shit. Your pictures are shit. It's a waste of time. You know, and I just, I don't know why. It was just like something, some inner voice just, giving, just bumming me out. And just saying it's not worth anything. And I, I mean, a part of that comes from the more you know, it's to use a stupid analogy, but I'll use it anyway. Like, the first, my kids love McDonald's, right? They think it's the best hamburger in the world. I loved McDonald's when I was that age, but I've had a really good hamburger. And I know McDonald's is shit, right? When you own a lot of photo books, when you've been to museums, when you see, I know what great photography is, mm-hmm. and then I know what my work is, and I and I'm striving to get better, just like everybody else. But there's days when I go, if you look at the photographic history, and if you have an awareness of what everybody else has done, never mind art history, just photographic history, and you contextualize what you're doing with what everybody else has done, you know, sometimes it can be hard to say like, what is the point? What am I contributing that's different? And what you're contributing is your own viewpoint. And I don't need to be Ralph Gibson or Joe Meyerowitz or Bruce Gilman or any of those guys because I'm, I'm me yeah. and they're not taking the picture that I took, but that doesn't stop sometimes from that inner voice saying you're bullshit, you know? And I think a lot of creative people have that. I mean, Van Gogh like fucking blew, blew himself away because he felt that or whatever. Right. So, you know, all of us, yeah, all of us have tortured moments, but you know what kills that? Click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. You go out and you start taking pictures. And I swear to God, it's like sticking a knife in the heart of that beast. You, you start tripping the shutter and I feel it receding. I feel it go away mm-hmm. and it kills it. 
And then, you know, I, that's why whenever I walk the first, when I leave my house on the way to the subway station, I will take pictures of people who are not, I'm not interested in taking pictures of mm. <clears throat> because I'm, what I'm doing is I'm just working the muscle. I'm warming it up. I'm like, bang, bang, bang. And then when I sit on the train, I chimp and I delete everything pretty much. Maybe one, I might get one thing that's good, but that's to kill that beast every time. Mm. It's just to stick the heart in the knife of that beast who says, why are you wasting your time? Yeah. You know what? I, I'm going to throw this out there. I call those the the demons of photography, right? And we all get that feeling. Uh, and I, I think it's because, you know, it's more of a, a envy, a, an envy for other photographers who uh, we feel like, oh, man, we're doing the work, but we're not getting that recognition that other people are getting. And I read, I, I've, I've always been aware of that sense of, of envy, of jealousy or, or whatever. And, and I learned to deal with it and... and and get away from it and just focus on the content that I create. But there's a, a really good book that I think everyone should read at least once if you're a creator. Uh, and it's from Sean Tucker. He's a British person and it's called yeah. The Meaning of the Making. And it's pretty much about the human person's desire to create content. And he gets into all kinds of topics uh, and it, whatever he says, I can guarantee you, you felt in all of his chapters, you felt everything he said at least once in your content creating life. So whether it's from making YouTube videos, being a, a musician, a photographer, uh, you felt all of it. And to read it and to to know that other people are feeling the same way, uh, it's it's got to stem from somewhere, right? Why do we feel this way? Like no one teaches us about photography when we're born, when we're children, like you learn photography, but why do we always feel, you know, that self-entitlement? Like, oh my, I got to be the world's best known person that creates this. Um, that's just the book and kind of interpret it how you want. I, I think everyone should read it and they can take a lot from it. So, but no, Sean Tucker. Yeah, he's, he's cool. He's got a He's got a great YouTube channel mm-hmm. and I think he's, he's, his heart's in the right place yeah. creatively. You know, I, 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 I watch his videos sometimes. Um, I think what he does is, is, uh, is a valuable service, you know, yeah. cause he's very, it comes across as very selfless. You know, he struggles and he shares his struggles. And I think that's, uh, you know, Matt Day is another person I think also who's a, you know, a YouTuber who kind of talks about some of the, some of the struggles that he has creatively and everything. But, you know, I mean, if you think about it, just society is like, tells you from when you're small, like being an artist is not a serious pursuit. Yeah. Right. And then you got to get that money. And, you know, um, and think about it. Like most of the people who are significant artists, like a lot of them are just not recognized in their lifetime or reap the benefits of what they did in their lifetime. It's always like after they're dead or what, you know, I mean, Basquiat had recognition when he was alive, but he certainly wasn't, selling paintings for a hundred million dollars when he was, you know, when he, when he was alive. Um, so as an example, but you know, that's why it's important. I think to do it for yourself and your own personal growth. And just remember that that whole economy of of everything, Mm -hmm. if you work really hard and just put the work in, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's just going to come by osmosis, but you know, forget about, Oh, I got to make money. I got to be famous. You know, have you done the work? What work did you do today? What work did you do yesterday? What are you going to do tomorrow? You know, mm-hmm. focus on that. Because if you start comparing yourself to everybody and making it about money, well, then just go do a fucking sex tape. Fill your face up with Botox and 
do something scandalous, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's easier ways to get rich than taking pictures of weirdos on the streets of New York, man. You know, make some Instagram reels. Oh, Zinger. That's a shout at you, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what motivates you to continue making photos? I'm sure we've heard it. Uh, and I'm trying to uh, spark different answers around these questions but yeah what motivates you to continue making photos well because you can see the improvement if you keep doing it as one um because it enriches your humanity because you connect with people and you come across um social situations or or human situations that you would never have come come across before mm-hmm. like you know i've i've told a couple of stories when, you know, hear us talking, but like literally every time I go out, there's just, you meet somebody, you hear something that's just extremely rewarding. Um, the community, like there's some beautiful, amazing people doing great work whose heart is in the right place. And I love to see them succeed and grow. And so by being part of it, it gives me a place at the table to at least be engaged that, that it's not a competition for me. It's not a competition for them either. Everybody does their own thing, but like, if you want to be at that table, you know, do I want to be an observer from the outside? Do I want to have my face pressed up against that glass, you know, breathing on it, making it all foggy, looking in at everybody having the fun, or do I want to be sitting there, you know? Uh, and, and I've just made the decision that I want, that's where I want to be. I want to, I want to be, I want to be in, uh, I want to be at the table yeah. and, and feel all that. Okay. Let's all eat at the dinner table together, making photographs, of course. So, yeah, yeah. How do you block distractions? You know, there's so many ways to be distracted. Everyone has their own little distraction devices. But when you're out there in the streets grinding, putting the work in, how do you block the stuff that's not important? I, you know, I don't have that problem. I've never... I've never had that problem. I think basically everybody's chasing mindfulness. And I think photography is if you're doing it the right way, it's the most mindful, it's one of the most mindful things you could possibly do. I mean, I know I have friends who shoot and, and, you know, and, and maybe, you know, guns. And I, I guess on some level that's, that's pretty mindful too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of feel like, you know, when you're in the moment and I'm looking for images and I'm not, I don't care if the phone's ringing in my pocket. Um, if it's pouring rain, I've gone out when it's pouring rain, which by the way, just a quick aside, you know, I was so focused shooting the pouring rain, um, about five, six weeks ago, shooting my Q2 monochrome that I killed the fucking camera, which is supposedly water sealed. So those of you who are like a fans who have cues and talk about how they're water sealed, let me tell you, the camera is water sealed to a degree. Yeah. There's a little asterisk at the end of it's water sealed. Trust me, because the camera died while I was out and it was raining and you know, it's raining. And I thought, Oh, I can use this camera in the rain. But the camera died while I was out. You know, I shot, I shot with it a couple of times in light rain. This rain was a little bit heavier, but killed the camera. But I was so, I was having a day where I was just like, it was like the magic was just coming up. No distractions, just purity, mm-hmm. just one scene after the next one interaction after the next bang, bang, bang from here to there. Just, it was just like, I felt like I was uh, a deep sea diver that discovered some wreck in there, you know, after looking, you know, like, and there's just like gold on the floor, just kind of everywhere. And I'm just like picking and putting like jewels in my, in my wetsuit or whatever, you know, it was like, it was just everywhere. And I was so focused that, you know, I killed my fucking Q2. So I'm still waiting. It's in Germany. 
you know, for a month and I'm waiting to get whatever the horrible bill's going to be yeah. you for them to fix their supposedly weather seal camera. Um, pardon? You'll, you'll be waiting at least eight, nine months. Uh, everyone that I've known send their cameras to Germany to get repaired. They wait a while. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I, I know about waiting for it. So I'm already thinking about what I'm going to get as a backup body in the same time. And I, you know, not to get too techie and get off track, but I really like the SL2 stuff because of its versatility and um, its image stabilization. I, you know, I love the M because of how it works and the form factor, but as a serious photographic tool, um, I think the SL2 is a, is, you know, is an absolute beast. I really think the cues are kind of nice toys Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not knocking them, but, but when I want it, when I'm in a serious work head, it's the SL2 for me all the way. Okay. What would you say is your, we, we know you're rich with stories and experiences of shooting in New York, but what is your most memorable moment? It's, okay, it's um, my most memorable moment. Um, God, there's just so many, man. Um, I am, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to say something completely inappropriate and I'm going to apologize in advance to any female listeners to the podcast. Cause it's going to sound really just kind of rank, but it just, it happened. So I'm just going to tell the story. Um, and this is a memorable moment. Um, but when I was shooting at that drill video scene and the guy was on the bed with these girls and they were wearing almost nothing. Right. And so I've got the SL with a 35 SL on it and it's really, you know, you can really see. And, um, so the girls had their, like, they were, their backs were to me, their butts were facing me and he was between them and I'm, and I'm on the bed and I'm taking the pictures. Um, and at one point the girl just said, you know, I'm re- wearing a really skinny thong. Can you see, I'm not going to say what, exactly what she said, cause it's really rude, but she said, can, you know, I'm worried you can see X. And, um, and she's like, can you see my, can you see X? And I was like, uh, and so I like actually like had to call up the image on, on the, like uh, press the joystick and zoom in. And I'm like, yes, in fact, I can see what you're asking, <laughs> asking me about. Yeah. And, and, and so then she had to go and put on like a wider song because it wasn't doing a good coverage job. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a very, this is a very weird, you know, moment that I have here where I'm having like, tell some young girl that I can see something I, that I shouldn't be seeing. Um, and again, that all came out as physiography. So that was, uh, that was, that was a moment where I was like kind of crazy. Another moment was, um, um, I was in the garment district and I was just walking along and there was a guy who looked really rough in kind of a, having a manic kind of episode, just like blabbing and talking and to himself. And I walked by and um, he called out to me and started talking to me. And clearly he was on some, something on math or, you know, whatever. Um, but he was explaining to me his theory of um, universal Kung Fu. And it was like, there was, he was explaining this mathematical, physical, like the physics of the universe and how it interrelated with a martial art and how he 
un- he alone was this like master who understood how the, all the physics of the universe and how that applied to mar- martial arts and what the universe was all about. And he was saying it a million miles an hour. And I'm, so I'm on my knees talking to him and he's maybe like four feet away from me and he looks terrible. And he's obviously having like a drug induced manic moment, but I was talking to him and asking him questions and he's saying, I'll teach your kids for only $30 a lesson, bring them down. And we're having this discussion and I'm like, I have a camera in my hand and I was, I was asking myself, okay, is this wrong to take his photograph? Is this exploitative? Because he's in really bad shape and he's having like a psychotic moment here, you know, but he's talking to me. We're having a conversation. So it was this bubble of total manic kind of uh, this manic crazy interaction, but I was connecting with him, even though he was monologuing, I would interject at times and ask him questions and he would respond. And I I just said, is it okay if I take a picture? And he said, you have to, blah, blah, blah. So I, I snapped a couple of frames, like of him mid kind of talking about this and really being intense about it. So I'm talking, this girl walks by with like some kind of Frappuccino type thing, shake. And she's like, she starts bawling me out. I'm like, why are you taking pictures of me, you fucking piece of shit? What's the matter with you? Blah, blah. And she's just like yelling at me. And I said, hey, you don't know what's going on here. Like, cool. Just be, be chill. Like, you know. And she's like, no, you're a fucking piece of shit. Why are you taking, can't you see he's fucked up? And she's saying this in front of the guy, right? And making, trying to make me feel really bad, right? And, and I'm like, I was just kind of like, whatever. And there was a part of me that was just like, you know, Someone's attacking you out of nowhere, which took me out of the bubble. And it made me think, am I doing something wrong? You know, but it wasn't like I just like walked by while someone was like falling to pieces and like snapped the picture and then went and put it on my Instagram feed. I was like engaging with him and like in the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, when I step into that bubble and I'm with that person, I'm having a moment with that person. And I asked him if I could take a photograph. And that's a memory that I'll have and an interaction that I have that that's that's very burned itself into my fucking brain cells. So do I feel entitled to take that photograph? In that instance, I felt like it was okay to take that photograph and I wanted to, and I asked and it was cool. Mm-hmm. That person, if you think about it, and this is just like a note to anybody out there, there, there's definitely situations where I would never take a picture of that person because it would be exploitative and I, and I wouldn't want to be that. I'm not a, a misery voyeur, you know, I'm not a misery tourist, but but if you think about the person who was giving me shit, what the fuck entitled her to be superior to me? She's walking by with like some, you know, smoothie, talking about how saying this guy's nuts and he's all fucked up while he's sitting right there. She didn't go over to see how he was doing. She didn't check and see if he was cool. She wasn't calling like, you know, homeless services to make sure the guy was okay. Mm-hmm. She just wanted to judge me because she thought I was like being a misery tourist. Yeah. And I get it on some level. It was definitely Karen-ish on some other level, but, uh, and I understand maybe she was coming from a good place, but it kind of makes you, it it brings up all these questions. Like there's plenty of pictures, like in the photographic history of like in the old days, they called them tramps or hobos or whatever. And, you know, people have taken pictures of the homeless and Ouija took pictures of murder victims and everything. And, you know, you have to ask yourself like, where's that line? Is it okay? But that, that particular thing made me kind of say like, you know what, if I'm having a human interaction, with that person and I'm not I'm not looking at it like oh this is funny or this is this is weird I want to take a picture because so it's like if I'm in that bubble and I'm present in that bubble with that person 
then I think it gives me entree to, to at least, you know, ask permission. Now you could say like, well, does that person, are they of their right mind? Give me permission to take a, to take a picture of them. And that's, I guess you could have that conversation if you want to. Yeah. And maybe that's a different conversation, but I don't know if I'm better or worse than the person who was bawling me out and who just thought it was okay to just walk by pass judgment and not do shit and just yell at me. Yeah. But that was a moment that stays with me. And it, every time I click the shutter or, or have a photographic mindset when somebody is in bad shape, mm-hmm. I always ask myself and, and I, and I will say to anybody who looks at my feet and sees people who look like they have problems, <clears throat> um, there's thousands and thousands of pictures I didn't take. And the ones that I did take 99% of the time, it's because I crossed the threshold with that person. Yeah. So anyway, no, 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 that's, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think this is just my personal opinion. I, I don't know the laws of proper photography and I, I don't think me personally, I don't think you did anything wrong. Like you said, you, you were there, you had the moment if the person was, you know, cognizant enough to know you, you asked him to take his photo, we would never know because we don't know what's inside his person. But he gave you the permission. There or not. And then the person came behind not knowing the whole story. So uh, I don't think you did anything wrong, personally. Like you said, you engaged. Well, hey, and, and I mean, it does, it does say something about, like, when we post these pictures... You know, you don't always, I mean, you can write that in the body of the photograph in the description of Instagram, but you know, when people see the, that image, they don't always know everything that's behind it. Mm-hmm. So it gets back to that earlier thing. Like you like that one particular picture, right? And I, I took that picture and had all those moments and all that information in that situation and brought me all to that. You're looking at it without any of that information mm-hmm. and that rolls back into everything. It rolls back into what the composition is, what the subject matter is, how you frame it. You know, forget about all the technical aspects of it, but just like, you know, a picture can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And a moment can be misinterpreted very, very easily. Yeah. Um, my wife is asking if I'm still on. <laughs> no worries. Sorry, I guess uh, that's, that's your cue. Uh, then I'll just ask you a few more questions and we can, yeah. we can wrap it up. Uh, so cool. now... Kids uh, got to go to bed. <laughs> no worries. So... Um, now is the part of the podcast where I would like for you to, this is how I came in contact with you, uh, make any recommendations, recognize any person, photographer, artist you feel who does not get the most recognition in the world and you feel people should know about them. So photographers, musicians, artists, anybody, um, I will put all their information in the show notes once I upload. Oh, well, the first and foremost would be my friend Booty, um, which is uh, on Instagram is B-B-U-U-D-I-I. Okay. Um, Booty, um, his work is really, really special. He did a lot of shooting of um, Black Lives Matter protests and um, spent a lot of time with the family at Dante Wright. Um, he's somebody who's a concerned photographer. And he's a street photographer, but he's a concerned photographer. And when I think about like the, when I think when we were talking about Magnum earlier, mm-hmm. um, when I think about somebody who, who should be a photographer, who, 
works for Magnum or whose work would be worthy of that, you know, that he's somebody who I would say is, is, is somebody who's of that level. Um, because of his, his work is socially focused. There's a tremendous amount of joy in it. There's pain in it. Um, but it's at a different level, you know, mm-hmm. like my stuff, like to me, it's like when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and be Anton Corbin, you know, or Helmut Newton or somebody, you know, as much as I was influenced by Magnum, I was never going to be Henry Carter or Sar. I was never going to be Eugene uh, Smith, you know, the concerned photographer thing for me, um, I know the crosses you have to bear to do it, to do it well. And he's somebody who I think is in that lineage, so would be in that lineage. So that's one person. And then, my, you know, the other folks I would recommend is uh, um, my friend West. Um, his feed is um, well. And by the way, Booty shoots like he shoots um, an SL2S. Mm. So he's a like a guy. Um, these are all like, like a people, um, well-connected is West. Um, he's in, uh, from Patterson, New Jersey. I think he lives in Brooklyn now. Um, he does a show called smoking section on Sundays at 11 o'clock East coast time mm-hmm. with another photographer. We'll talk about in a second. Um, and West, um, he takes a lot of pictures of Patterson. He's a primarily a film photographer. um, he does take a lot of photographs of like weed and mushroom culture and there's a lot of smoking on his show. So you'll, so anybody who has an issue with that, you know, be forewarned, but that's not what it's about. He just, he to me is somebody who were a lot of photographers will take a picture of something. You can say, Oh, that's a good picture. When I look at his, at his feed, it's not like, it's like, Oh, there's a picture that leaps off the feed. He sets a tone. He documents a neighborhood. He, he, he builds a world through his work. Mm-hmm. where you see a culture and it's a body of work. And that to me is interesting. I mean, for me, I'm not necessarily building a body of work with intent. I might get there, but I'm taking individual moments and just, you know, it's like, here's a picture of a person and I got something because it's, that's portraiture or whatever. I think what West is doing is like, is it's just more of a, a world that he's documenting. And I think he's a really good photographer, but his, he's, well connected, which is W E L L C N N E C T E D. And like I said, he does a show called Smoking Section on Sundays. And <clears throat> the other person I would mention would be Chris Facey, which is F A C E Y. He's a vet also from uh, the Army. Okay. Um, he's got a pretty significant Instagram following, um, but his IG is Coco Butter Shutter which is C-O-C-O dot butter dot shutter. And Chris is just, he's got, again, great energy in his his photographs. I believe he's from New York, moved down to North Carolina. And obviously it's it's different shooting in New York than it is somewhere like, you know, Mm -hmm. North Carolina, even the bigger cities down there. It's not as dense. But the, the life that he has in his photographs, the technique, the energy that he has in his photographs, like, it leaps off the feed to me. Like some of his pictures just have energy that just pops. Um, and, and, um, you know, he's somebody who I, who does the smoking section show also. And the great thing about it is like, when you listen to that show on Sundays, like those guys will, they'll, they'll talk about, they might talk about something like, 
they'll have like some converse, some kind of conversation about weed or edibles or something, and then shift into talking about the with the Will Smith Chris Rock thing, and then shift into you know Chris will take out a photo book and start talking about Robert Frank, yeah, you know, and then talk about how the police situation is in New York. So it's like kind of going all over the place. But what's amazing is is is, is it's just like it's it's just life and hearing that perspective and, and, uh, and having that undercurrent of how it's all informed by photography and how all of that gets integrated back into photography. I respect the fact that these guys, particularly Chris, who almost on every, every time he's on, will talk, will, will throw it back to not that West doesn't, but Chris will, will kind of talk about, um, photographic practitioners and photo books and reference things like I start talking about Gordon Parks and get really deep into something that Gordon Parks did or a lecture that he saw on YouTube or something like that. So while you're listening to this, like it'll shift from, you know, somebody really hitting on a blunt one second. And then all of a sudden it'll get into this like five minute micro discussion about Gordon Parks. That's really heavy. And, and I love that, you know? So those are three people who I, I think are, if you're looking for Leica photographers um, that would be, um, that would be, uh, the people who I recommend for Leica. And then just two other folks who I think are really great. Um, there's a, another guy named Jabari Desante, who's got a IG feed called, uh, Barack Safari visuals. Um, I think he's a Fuji shooter, but he's a really, another really interesting photographer, Washington square park does, and Brooklyn does prints on demand, sells them to people. It's great. And then I got to give a shout out to um, two left, two other guys, and then I'll let you go. Nurse to Life, uh, my friend Purcell Nurse. He's an interesting photographer. Again, um, Washington Square Park guy, and my friend Cecil, Film Classics. Cecil, it's Film underscore Classics. Cecil shoots film, and he's like out there with like an M three half the time yeah. and he's he's a little bit older like me but he's another he's another guy who's um who when i see it, always puts a smile on my face but i mean i would say you know those people are all people who i consider to be part of my photographic community yeah um and who care about the craft okay no worries i was writing them down uh and then like i said earlier once i upload this episode I'm going to add all their links and their social medias. If I can find them, if I can, I'll ask you for some assistance, but I uh, appreciate that. And now the world, whoever's listening cool. can find these people and see their works and support them. Uh, and for me, my final question is, and I always end it on this question. Thank you. Craig Clark is what does street photography mean to you? Not the actual, you know, technical definition, but Whenever you think of street photography, what what does it mean to you? Life. It's it is the antidote to all the things in life that are trying to separate us from each other. Mm-hmm. And not everybody can do it, and those of us who can do it, I think are so fortunate. You look at all the divisiveness in society. You look at what these giant companies are trying to do to keep us from one another because they make money by us being pissed off at each other. That's the, that's the most fucked up thing about social media. They make money when we are angry at each other. So what happens when you get out in the street with a camera and you meet another person and you shake their hand 
and you give them a hug or you hear about their life. Mm-hmm. It's like taking a shower in humanity, in like the wonders, the golden light of humanity. It is the antidote to all that shit that governments and corporations and the cops and everybody are trying, you know, the, the, everybody who has a vested interest in trying to make you scared of the other. Cause just one last thing, like I grew up on Long Island and it was, I grew up in a place where it was, it was mostly just, you know, I'm a white guy and it's pretty much, you know, there were certain type of people who live there. Right. And I know that there's a lot of places in the world, a lot of different communities where like there's all, there's this concept of this fear of the other. Right. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of bad things happen in the world. And I think what street photography does for me is it, it kills that dead man. It's like a, it's like a vaccine against fear of the other, you know, you, you meet everybody, every walk of life, every sexual orientation, every religion, you know, people who are criminals who might be the sweetest, nicest people to you. And then you meet somebody who's a straight up person who might be a total piece of shit. And that's okay because that's, that's life, yeah. you know, but it shows you that all of these labels that they put on people and all these things that you're supposed to believe, you get out, you lose your fear of the other, you embrace the other, and it makes you a better person. And that's what street photography does to me. And the great thing is, I get a record of it. Yeah. And I get to put it in a book. And maybe when my kids grow up, they say, look at, who, look at all the people daddy hung out with. Yeah. If somebody's telling me I should be scared of those people, I mean, I would never tell my kids to be scared of any of those people. But when they look at this and they go, look who my father mixed with. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and they'll see, I, I, you know, they can see, I, you can talk about not being racist and everyone walk the walk, go walk amongst people who are different than you, yeah. embrace them as your brothers. But don't just, don't just make it a meme. You know, that's what street photography does for me. Oh, okay. very nice. Love the explanation. Uh, and like I said, that is always the last question that I end the podcast with. Um, so now I'll give you the opportunity to ask me any questions if you like, if not, that's pretty much it. Well, my, I would love to ask you a, a lot of questions. My, uh, my kids, my, my wife is asking me if the kids can go to bed. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize it or marginalize it and say, I gotta go. I got to talk about all the shit that's important to me. So now I gotta roll. Um, but, um, I guess, uh, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with your street photography? What does it mean to you? I'll ask you the same question right back. Um, Ooh, I answered this once before and I got asked again. Now I'm not prepared, but so for me, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, um, sharing how I see the world, you know, uh, there's no right or wrong way to, to capture street photography. And I like to show the unseen world to people who just walk by it every day and don't see it. It's right there in front of us, the unknown world. Uh, and, and I've said this before, bef- uh, and people ask me um, similar style questions. Uh, you know, I was walking with somebody one day and I was take, I always take my camera up now. I was shooting photos and the person said, hey, what, are you, what are you taking pictures of? And I said, I showed them and they were amazed. They're like, wow, like, when did this happen? And I'm like, explaining, I'm like, this literally just happened moments ago as me and you were walking and we passed wherever we were at. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. So it's like, it made me realize like, it's an unseen world. 
people block it out. They intentionally, they can't see it. They're, they're unaware of it. And that's what it is for me. It's just the unknown, unseen world that I can see. And I want to share that with people. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who is a true practitioner of street photography can relate to that and would probably give some variation of the same answer. Yeah. So, wow. But thanks for asking. Yeah. I appreciate the question. Cool. Yeah. Anything else? All right, man. No, just fuck fear. That's it. There you go. Fuck fear. Um, that being said, I'd like to thank the listeners for listening. Um, Jim, thanks for taking the time out and recording with me. I host group pod chats. I know we, we kind of got confused on uh, the group pod chat. They're just free, free conversations and I host them every now and then. And, uh, I don't typically ask certain questions like I did on these. It's just, you know, uh, and then we just talk about anything and everything. Um, so if you have anything you'd like to share, write it down in, in the group chat. We can get it across and more people can contribute to. So once again, thank you. Thank you cool. to the listeners. Maybe I'll jump in sometime. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's open to everybody. So uh, like a street photography, everybody. Thank you.